On behalf of the Spiritual Congregation in Ireland, I want to express my deepest and most sincere sorrow to every person who was abused by a member of the Spiritans or by a staff member in any of our schools. What was done to you as innocent children was cruel and indefensible, and we Spiritans are ashamed of this. It took the exceptional bravery of Mark and David Ryan to prompt this public apology from the Spiritans this week. The men shared harrowing details of the sexual abuse they suffered at Willow Park School and Black Rock College in Dublin when they were children. It was like a death in me. I was just killed. I was embarrassed, ashamed, petrified. I wasn't, wasn't sleeping properly and I felt so guilty, dirty. Now, at least 300 historical complaints have been made against 77 priests from the Spiritans, but many more victims are expected to come forward. The congregation has launched a restorative justice programme for these men. But, with so many of the abusers now dead, their crimes will go unpunished. I'm Connor Pope, and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, what happened at Blackrock College in Willow Park, and how can the survivors get answers and justice? Patsy McGarry is the Irish Times Religious Affairs Correspondent. Patsy, the Doc on One programme rarely makes news headlines, but all of that changed last week when it featured two brothers, Mark and David Ryan, and they told a harrowing story of being sexually assaulted by Holy Ghost priests. That's the order now known as the Spiritans, and they run Blackrock College and Willow Park and other schools around the country. What did they have to say on the documentary? Well, Connor, before we do that, I think it was very interesting what RTE did with this programme. Normally, the Dock on One goes out on Saturdays at one o'clock, as the title suggests. But this time, clearly they recognised the news value, particular news value of this broadcast. So instead of broadcasting it on the Saturday, they broadcast it at the end of drive time, the last hour of drive time, their news current affairs programme in mm. the evenings. And that really guaranteed it a very, very strong audience. And of course, everything went from there, where these two men... 158, 161, both brothers living in Merrion Avenue in uh, right close to Black Rock itself in South Dublin, talk very candidly about their abuse by a man called, or a priest called Father Joe Byrne and went into quite considerable detail about that abuse in Willow Park, the junior school for Black Rock and then in the library in Black Rock College itself. I found it very hard to mix with people, kept myself to myself. I never spoke about it, I never talked about it. Try to forget about it. I suffered terribly from psoriasis, which is, now we know why, nerves. That's why I thought running away to England, it'll be all gone. But it never goes. It, it just crept up and more and more. After the, the broadcast of this documentary, more students who'd been abused at schools run by the Spiritans came forward. Some have spoken directly to you and others have, have spoken to other people. What stories have you been told and what other stories have emerged about the abuse at Blackrock College and Willow Park? What has been remarkable about that documentary and those two men speaking so candidly about their experience is that clearly it liberated an awful lot of other men who had similar experiences at the hands of the same priest and indeed at the hands of other priests and two notorious brothers there. Um, brother Gaylor and Brother McCaffrey. And they began to come to people like me, go to Liveline particularly on RT Radio 1, and uh, 
talked about what happened to, to them. Very similarly, at the hands of not just those people, but also Father's Flood and Father, Father Curry, other names, and more and more names have been coming out this past week. Uh, almost every day there's a new revelation about another priest itself. It just seems to be the same rehearsed thing. You can't tell anybody this is our secret. Nobody's going to believe you. Um, you and your family and your parents will be disgraced. Your brothers won't get into the school. And it was just a teach total and utter fear factor with them. The people who spoke to a live line clearly hadn't much problem about being identified. People who spoke to us in the, the print medium mainly did so because they felt they'd have greater protection. So we could use anonymise their names and use names, not mm. the real names. And often these are more tragic cases because there are people who have become extraordinarily isolated and have had difficulty in fomenting any sort of normal relationship, particularly with the members of the opposite sex. And and leaded have leaded led rather and still lead very introverted quiet lives, and um, it took considerable courage for those men to come forward. As it has indeed, of course, I'm not minimising it for the people who did go on radio, uh, on liveline, etc. But it's been a traumatic experience for all these men. Now, Patsy, on Wednesday of this week, the Spirit and Congregation announced that they were setting up a restorative justice programme for the survivors of abuse at Blackrock College in Willow Park and other places. What exactly will that restorative justice programme mean and how has it been received by the survivors of the abuse? Well, essentially, this arose from an initiative taken by four men who'd been in particularly Willow Park, but also Blackrock College. They're the Leaving Cert class of 1979. John Coulter, Corey McMahon, Louis Hoffman and a man called Philip Fedes, who actually was uh, on a Zoom call from Brazil throughout the press conference on Wednesday. And these men, uh, uh, first of all, became concerned about what was emerging out of uh, Blackrock College itself. Louis Hoffman took an initiative in 2020 when he saw reports that lands at Blackrock College were being sold for 16 million. And he uh, said on Facebook that he hoped some of that money would go to help compensate people who've been abused. And that led to a flurry of responses, which he hadn't expected. So he set up a particular group on Facebook, basically saying, Black Rock, the, Samar- the Spiritans, time to say sorry. And he was swamped with people. And eventually uh, he was contacted by John Coulter, uh, Corey McMahon, who were classmates of his. And they decided to take an initiative to do something about it. And altogether of their class, they discovered that 25 men had been abused or one in five, which is quite an extraordinary statistic. So they, they had some discussions with the Spiritans about setting up a restorative uh, justice programme, whereby basically it'll be a forum where people who have been abused can come to them informally and confidentially. And a man that they've appointed basically to oversee the programme, who's a professional in the area, Tim Chapman, and discuss what happened to them, arrange meetings with the Spiritans. Uh, and this has happened already involving 19 of the men. And basically, in a conciliatory tone, try and bring healing to the men who have been abused uh, with the cooperation of the Spiritans. And in fact, the Spiritans themselves are funding this restorative justice programme. And do you know what impact it's likely to have? I mean, and how has it been greeted so far? It's very hard to say yet. It's only been announced this week. Um, I, I don't think myself it'll satisfy everybody. I mean, this was attempted before. I know, I remember myself actually in the Dublin Archdiocese when the abuse issue emerged there. It wasn't successful there because people didn't trust the Archdiocese either to give them justice or, or to have their case heard properly. And I feel that it will be something, something of a sideshow, sadly, that that is the historical record, that basically people who have been abused in these institutions simply want the, f- the fact acknowledged. They want a proper apology and in some cases they want compensation, though it has to be said in this instance, people are insisting that that is not a factor. 
Okay. Now, whatever about the apologies, like, have we moved beyond the point where there's likely to be prosecutions for these crimes that were committed against children in those two uh, schools? Well, for the, from the point of view of the abused, sadly, most of these people are dead. Um, there, but there are currently two living spirits being investigated. Now, you've been writing about abuse within Catholic church-run institutions for decades. And in 2009, the Rhine Commission published its report after a nine-year investigation into what had happened in orphanages, reformatories and industrial schools in Ireland. Now, that report found that physical abuse was rife, neglect was rife, and that the sexual abuse of boys was endemic in all of these institutions. Then in 2012, in the Irish Times, we covered stories of abuse by spirit and priests in St. Mary's, in Rockwell, and as far as Sierra Leone and Kenya. Now, that was 10 years ago, and at the time, nothing came out about what had happened in Blackrock College. So I suppose my question is, why do you think it took so long for the abuse in Blackrock and Willow Park to become public? I think it comes down to a number of factors, but particularly the deep, deeply ingrained sense of loyalty to the brand, to the rock brand, of which people who attend that college are immensely proud. I mean, there are approximately 17,000 living past pupils of Black Rock. 8,000 of those belong to the Past Pupils Union. That, in any context, is very Mm. unusual. That half of your former students belong to a Past Pupils Union in any school's context is is really, really rare. And uh, it's because BlackRock has such status, has such name, and there's such an ingrained sense of loyalty to the culture that to to criticise it publicly in any form or to, to sully its name in any form would be deemed by other past pupils as deeply disloyal, as damaging to the institution and to the brand to which they feel a deep affection and a very, very intense loyalty. That's why even though there were 70, 57 men uh, who did come forward to make allegations, nobody, nobody knew about this till last week when the Spiritans published their own figures. Even though, I mean, we had in other schools run by Spiritans, we had the emergence of cases of, uh, of convictions in the courts uh, of, of Spiritan priests in St Mary's. That happened in 2009. Uh, and in Rockwell College, it happened in 2015. But they were, they, even then, when Spiritan priests who were also or had served for periods in Black Rock College, there wasn't a whisper from any former pupils who'd been abused in Black Rock. That seems remarkable. It's almost like there was an omerta to borrow the word from the Italian, around this for a very, very long time. Would that be fair to say? Certainly it's an accurate description. I don't think it was as organised. I think it was an innate sense of loyalty. There is no indication that the past Pupils' Union, for instance, are indeed uh, decided, OK, suppress this, suppress this. I honestly believe most of those men until this week had no idea of the scale of the abuse that took place in Willow Park and Black Rock College itself. They are deeply, deeply shocked. They're also very sad for the institution and they take it personally because they feel such affection. Their identity is bound into that school. That's the way it's gone on for generations. Fathers Mm. sent sons, grandfathers, etc. I mean, it goes back literally generations to when the school was started in the 1850s. And because of its high profile, too, in Irish life, in politics and business, it has a unique status in the country itself as a school. Indeed it does. And I think uh, Fintan O'Toole was writing uh, earlier this week in in the Irish Times uh, about the connection with John Charles McQuaid, former Archbishop of Dublin, and Eamon de Valera, who both attended Black Rock. Is that embedding in the highest echelons of Irish society significant in how this story has started to unravel now? I think absolutely true. I mean, not alone were McQuaid and de Valera uh, former pupils of Black Rock College. They both 
uh, taught there. And indeed, McQuaid is a former president of Black, was a former president of Blackrock College. It has huge influence in the legal profession. It has huge influence in the medical profession. Uh, a lot of past pupils ended up in both those professions. It has huge influence in academic life in Ireland through UCD particularly, which became, if you like, a finishing school for boys who have been to Blackrock College. I mean, it has enormous connections right into the highest levels of Irish society, and that has gone on for generations. As Finton also pointed out, indeed, um, McQuaid, as Archbishop of Dublin, did move around um, abusers to various Mm. parishes, including his own. But interestingly enough, the Murphy Commission, which investigated the handling of abuse by the church in the Dublin Archdiocese did investigate two concerns expressed about McQuaid's own personal behaviour towards young boys. I mean, there was not enough evidence to establish anything, but it, it, it did arise in that context. And there have been rumours about the man going back for years. Obviously, a lot of attention in recent days has focused on Blackrock College and on Willow Park. But what about the other fee-paying schools run by Catholic orders? You, you touched on it briefly earlier, but have they proved themselves to be better when it comes to looking after the welfare of the children in their care? Not in the past. They behaved exactly the same as the authorities behaved in Blackrock, exactly as the authorities behaved in reformatories orphanages, industrial schools run for children, exactly as the diocesan authorities in Dublin and Cloyne behaved when it came to child abuse in those parishes in those dioceses. Well, they covered up. Their primary concern in all these instances was the protection of the institution uh, and protecting it from damage, protecting its assets. As the Murphy report found about what went on in Dublin, which and it investigated the period from 1975 to 2004, the welfare of children wasn't even a factor and the evidence we have to date points to that being exactly the same in all of these private fee-paying schools as it was in orphanages, industrial schools and reformatories. The pattern is consistent throughout that the reputation of the institution was all that mattered to these men so they moved known perpetrators around or out of the way or school to school or from Ireland to nine countries where the Spiritans were concerned abroad, kept moving them around to keep them out of focus and they abu- where they abused again and again and again, as we see again and again and again. And the real scandal in this case is not that there were abusers among the Spiritan priests or among the Jesuits or among the, the Dominicans. There are abusers in every strata of Irish society. The abuser is not the problem here, though he is, of course. The issue here, the central scandal here, is how this case was handled by the superiors Mm. and the religious authorities and the church authorities more broadly, everywhere where the church put itself before children. And that is the scandal it has to deal with today and is paying a deserved and huge price. But that price will never be sufficient for the lives that were destroyed by these people. And I think you've touched on a really important point here because it's fair to say that the institutions and and, and the orders, they weren't just accidentally allowing these things to happen. In many cases, they were culpable and complicit. Absolutely 100% the case. They were. I mean, we do not know, we cannot make connection between the individual orders. They operated, if you like, as, as sort of silos. But yet, Patsy, they all operated in a very similar way. Totally and consistently, which would lead us to believe that there had to be some coordination. Uh, I mean, there was one element we can point to 
That is the, the canon law in the broader church context. When it came to the handling of abuse allegations or dealing with abuse allegations in a parish or in a diocesan context and a, an abuser was brought before a church tribunal or whatever, the consistent factor there was the protection of the canon law process, mm. not civil law. Civil law was not to be brought into it. In fact, in 1996, in the early 1990s, when the Irish bishops decided to bring in child protection guidelines, one of their clauses was, it was called the Green Book, published in 1996, was that the civil authorities should be informed. The man in charge in Rome, a Cardinal Hoyas, in charge of the Congregation for Clergy, came over here and instructed that the civil authorities were not to be informed because that would interfere with the integrity of the church's canon law process itself. And that, I mean, the bishops here were very frustrated by the t- at the time, but that was the way it was until the early 2003. I just wonder, Patsy, can you say that it's all finished now? I mean, obviously there are still going to be abusers, as you say, in all walks of life. But is that institutional support for abusers gone from Irish society now, definitively, do you think? I don't know. All I can say is for, for, for a fact that in, in any society, there are about two to three percent of male abusers, child abusers. Uh, that won't go away. It seems to be part of the human condition. And um, I think there's a huge focus of the church's concerned on institutional abuse. To be fair, under Pope Francis, he introduced the Commission for the Protection of Minors. So the church has had no choice but to face up to this issue. But whether or not that has percolated fully to other areas of the church remains to be seen. We do not know what went on in Africa, for instance. We have an indication from the, what we see from the spiritual experience where they move these guys to the African churches or African schools to keep them out of the way in Ireland. And like a lot of people, I believe that the African story could be worse than what we've seen here in Ireland. But we have to wait and see. The indications are that it may be. And it could still be unfolding as we speak. Yeah. And in a very young conservative church whose, whose primary concern is to protect itself, the same as it used to be here. I mean, here, I think that for the Catholic Church in Ireland, the Catholic Church as we have known it in Ireland is, I believe, fatally damaged by this. That doesn't mean Catholicism in Ireland is gone, not at all. It's just this particular form of Catholicism, which is about 150 years old, post-famine Catholic Ireland, that's gone. It's killed. Mm. But Catholicism will evolve into uh, another form, uh, probably lay-led. Yeah. I, I, I know that in the past you've written about how globally abuse of children within church institutions is sometimes referred to as the Irish disease. Is the abuse more prevalent amongst the church in Ireland than it is globally or indeed amongst people who have connections to Ireland globally, do you think? Well, Connor, in 2002, I wrote an article for the paper titled An Irish Disease? Question mark about that very extraordinary phenomenon as it was then. In fact, I wrote it for the tablet magazine who refused to publish it because they were afraid to do so. They said they'd been battling a sense among English Catholics uh, that they were anti-Irish for quite a long time and if they were to publish that article, it would reinforce that old prejudice. I expected that there would be a huge backlash to the article, which is not why I wrote it, but because I was going on the names of convicted abusers in the Canada, the United States, the UK, here, of course, Australia and New Zealand. At the time, there was little uh, exposure anywhere else of this hor- horrible phenomenon. And that's why I, I asked the question, is there something in the Irish psyche or in our wounded history or whatever that means that a lot of Irish clergy became child sex abusers? Now, since then, of course, we know it's different. It has come out and emerged with a vengeance throughout continental Europe, throughout the United States of America, throughout Australia. And all these places have been commissions throughout the UK, commissions investigating this phenomenon. I think what's different in the Irish context is that because we were the only Catholic state or nation 
within the British Empire context that the Irish church would spread with the empire to the United States, to Africa, all these colonial areas. And, uh, and therefore, the Irish church had a due influence in the English-speaking world. And when it came to exposure, the exposure of this issue, the media in the English-speaking world is much more proactive and interrogative historically than is the case, for instance, in continental Europe or in other parts of the world. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why the issue emerged here first. OK. Now, finally, Patsy, and this is probably a difficult question for you to answer, but what impact do you think the stories that have emerged in recent days will have in the future? I mean, it, they certainly seem to have tarnished the reputation of many of these very exclusive fee-paying schools that would have been considered the best in the state by a great many people. But do you think that reputation has been tarnished permanently? No, I think these schools uh, have formidable academic and deserved academic reputation as well. They will be damaged, undoubtedly, by their handling of these issues. But I don't think the damage will be uh, fatal. Um, I, I do think and I hope and I do believe there should be a, a statutory inquiry into what went on in these institutions. Why should middle class kids not deserve something similar to working class kids who've been in orphanages or residential homes for children and had a report? Now, I know that report went on for nine years and we can't have that again because most of these people will be dead by that stage. As one man said to me yesterday, in fact, Mark Ryan, one of the two brothers to expose this issue on the documentary for one, there has to be a more cost effective, efficient investigation, but an investigation must take Mm. place. A child is a child is a child, whatever its background. It shouldn't suffer because of the prejudices of some people towards VPing schools uh, or that they're privileged or not. A child isn't privileged. A child is a child. Patsy McGarry, as ever, thank you very much for talking to us. That's it for today. This episode of In the News was produced by Suzanne Brennan and Aideen Finnegan. We'll be back on Monday.